and welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Froggy. And this week we're talking about Season 2, Episode 3, School Hard. And once again, we're joined by the ever-amazing Jackie. Yay! Here to join us in discussing everyone's favorite bleach blonde vampire. Ooh. But before we get to that, I have just two short announcements. And I think you all know what the first one is. Book club! Woohoo! So let's do our first book club of this season in three weeks. So after Reptile Boy, we'll travel back down the coast to San Diablo and do the third Adventures of a Demon Hunting Soccer Mom book. Oh, Demons are forever. Can't wait. Can't wait to see where uh, that goes. I we love do that love book so club. Much. Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm like dragging you both into this series because <laughs> I adore it and I'm enjoying rereading it immensely. Yeah, it really is cute and it really does feel like the successor to Buffy like it just it works I love it I love it and I need to we need to know we need to know what happens oh I'll make sure a link to the book is in this week's show notes for anyone who needs to get a copy the second announcement is that while Dylan has returned safely from the woods (laughs) they were unable to join us tonight however they will be back next week so yay! Good. Yay, Dylan! Return. I know, I know. I can't wait to talk to Dylan, too. I know, you haven't gotten to do that yet. I mean, at least on, on the podcast. Air. I mean, obviously I mean, we talk to Dylan off air yes, all the time. I mean, I got to spend six hours in a car with him, so... <laughs> School Hard. Air date was September 27th, 1997, and it was still a Monday. So we are, we're we're chugging along on Monday nights for season two. Our synopsis is, at parent-teacher night, Buffy has a violent meeting with Spike, the master's successor, and Angel's former pupil, Drusilla. Okay, I gotta talk about this description because I'm (laughs) I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I mean, it's not wrong per se but it's definitely misleading it's better than the one that what was it when we did prophecy girl where cordelia teams up with angel like yeah that one was that one was very strange yeah spike is the one that i would call angel's former pupil yeah yeah and and like we're even gonna reference that in this episode yeah i guess they didn't want to give anything away but I feel I feel those blurbs for even shows nowadays, like you you go on Netflix or something like that, and they have a blurb and you're like, this is going to not make any sense. Well, the interesting thing nowadays is a lot of times with big shows, like with Game of Thrones, there wouldn't even be an episode description on the upcoming episode. Like if you're scrolling through your guide on Verizon, it would just be like episode 5-08. Even then, now, if you go on HBO to look at past episodes, the the descriptors are still vague anyway. Yeah. It's like, Jon Snow goes on a trip. <laughs> you know? Uh, things, something like that. Oh, he's going to have a nice vacation. No. No, no, no. There are dragons. You're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, we knew that there were dragons. I mean, a lot of us were in for the dragon. Like... Yeah, We're waiting for those dragons. Justice There's, for the dragons. You could say you could say this episode there will be butts. 
There were a lot of butts in that show, too. There was so many butts. My mom, when she started watching that series, the first the first season, she called me. A lot me, of she's boobs, like, too. She's like, I, I like the show, but there's a lot of naked people. I'm like, we, yeah. My friends and I used to call it sex position. <laughs> because they would have these scenes where they explain things, and it's just prostitutes or people <laughs> having sex and they're like here's the history of westeros when my dong hangs out in your face you know it's i don't like mix a- that <laughs> that was hbo trying to do its heyday of hbo and bring people in with the the naughty bits oh my god but yeah like no you're right like trying to get a history lesson when people are naked like <laughs> There's a character, Roz, who's not even in the books. And I would get so annoyed because I'm like, they literally just created this character to just be naked randomly everywhere. (laughs) Someone has to be naked, Jackie. But now HBO doesn't have to do that anymore because they're doing movies. You know what? If I could just get paid to be naked, I would take that money. I'm like, sure. You get paid well. Yeah, I'll, I'll be naked. I mean, I have, there's pictures of me from that my friend took when we were in college for her photography class of various body parts actors who need a body double you know where to go to yeah these are things i'm just learning (laughs) you get paid really well because actors a lot of actors don't want to do their own nudity so like in game of thrones for example i'm sorry this is so off topic but cersei does this walk where she's like walking um, in the town naked yeah yeah it's not the real actress she didn't want to do that um and so they have a body double and they superimposed the actress's real face on it i mean hey if you need a short little pale chubby girl i mean my face won't be on there it'll be your face or you know the general you i'll get paid for that (laughs) they use body doubles for the weirdest reasons when i first moved here um There's a scene in The Holiday where Kate Winslet's character teaches um, the older gentleman how to swim. And they were looking for body doubles for Kate Winslet. And I interviewed for a body double for Kate Winslet. Um, Apparently, I'm like around the same height and size. And it's literally a two-second swimming scene. And I'm like, is Kate, can she not swim? She was in Titanic? (laughs) (laughs) I was very confused. (laughs) Maybe Titanic was traumatic and she doesn't want to be in water anymore. There you go. That's true. That's true. She almost froze to death in some of those scenes. I was going to say, those those scenes were really cold. Yeah, I heard stories about that. But so, yeah, yeah, they had a a body double just for the swim swim scenes. I didn't didn't get the part. Aw. Aw. Apparently, there was a a girl who looked way more like her than I did, so (laughs) she got it. If only Sarah Michelle Gellar needed a body double. I'm sure she has, you know, well... Sophia Crawford, who's our stunt double in this show, doesn't look anything like her. Oh, no, no, no. no. Like, it's, it is ridiculous how, how obvious yeah, it is. Sophia Crawford's like a good six inches taller than Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah. Yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar's like 5'4". So, <sighs> and I know, I mean, I know why they used her because she's a very good stunt actress and you need someone who's really good at their job to do that. But there, there's definitely times when you see body doubles and it's, Sometimes it's a body double for a woman and the body double is actually a man. Well, that's why Spaceballs is always so funny. You captured their stunt doubles. (laughs) I love Spaceballs. But yeah, no, that, that description was, was something else. But yeah. Froggy, do we have international titles? Yes, we do. We do. And they are 
They are pretty amusing. Okay. So I thought I, the ones for this one would be really good. So I'm really excited. Yeah. I was just talking earlier. I can't wait till, I mean, it's far down the line, but the ones for band candy mm. are absolutely amazing. So I've decided that I'm not going to try to actually do the languages. Okay. I'm not going to offend any of our listeners. There's going to be who, no butchering. No, no butchering of languages, but I am going to read what the translations are. So Armenian, we have learning difficulties. Czech school troubles, Finnish tough school, <laughs> French is attack in Sunnydale, German is parent teacher conference with obstacles, <laughs> Hungarian German ones are always pretty weird. Yeah, well, and like I will try to read it's Alternaben mit Hindernissen, <laughs> so it really does sound good in German. Um, in Hungarian, it's tough school. Italian, a dangerous opponent. Japanese, die hard school. <laughs> That's my favorite. Yeah. All right, so we know what this week's title is going to be. <laughs> die hard school, yep. Romanian is school full. And Spanish from Latin America is terror at school. That sounds like a bad horror movie. It does. It does. So yeah, no, uh, the Japanese is definitely the, the high school. And, and also, and I, I also like the German. The German is also good too. Parent teacher conference with obstacles. They make it sound so innocent. I know. They do. Like with obstacles. Yeah, like, like it sounds like it's going to be like double dare. <laughs> like they have to do some sort of obstacle course to get your your report card that day and mm-hmm. i want to see snyder on double dare I, well i was gonna say i could see snyder making all of them go through double dare true i know we miss principal flutie because he was so cute and nice and one of the best for buffy but snyder was a really good foil to add yeah snyder is great snyder's a great character we've talked about it before and i i think i i talk about it a little bit here too because he just he is a fascinating character he is he really is and like i'm i mean i already love armin shimmerman so like to see him playing this character it is very interesting i yeah i do love i do love him yeah because flutie i mean flutie he was good we love flutie rest in peace but I think she benefits from having somebody like Snyder to go up against. She does. And the, and the I think the story benefits, benefits too. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Because we learn <clears throat> Snyder's that first gate into learning how corrupt the Sunnydale government yes. is. Yep. Like every and then, time. And then it starts to make sense that you have a town that's full of all these weird happenings and no one I guess people question it sometimes, but uh, you would think the leaders would know this and they do. So yeah. it's, it's a little bit more, less far-fetched. Well, we Not- were watching, we were watching Band Candy last night and my husband was like, do they have a situation here like in Gravity Falls with the Society of the Blind Eye where it's just, eh, never mind all that. We're going to wipe everybody's memory. I'm like, in some ways, people, you know, things are happening. But I mean, I do like when people question like, oh, we've had a lot of deaths this year. Oh, we didn't have as many as we had. Like, it's just. It's it, one it, of the reasons The Prom is one of my favorite episodes. Yes. Because it, it, it's finally acknowledged that the whole school realizes all the weird shit that goes on, even though nobody's really saying yeah, it throughout the Yeah, nobody talks about it. <laughs> So we don't have a previously on, but we do still have Giles informing us what a slayer is, which is fine because Giles could read the phone book to me and I'd sit here with hard eyes. Yes. 
And from there, we head on to Sunnydale High, a quick establishing shot, complete with some poor late student dashing inside, leads us to Principal Snyder's office, where he is meeting with Buffy and another student named Sheila, who, in the script, is described as 17, sexy, slovenly, (laughs) and somewhat dangerous. Who wrote the script that says sexy and slovenly? Are you usually like, hmm, that slovenly person is very sexy. I just imagine someone with food spilled all over themselves. I think this one was David Greenwald. Good job, yes. David Greenwald. Yeah, yeah. This we one know was... what he's into. Yeah. We know what his kinks are. People with food on their shirts. <laughs> he just waits by the craft services. Yeah, that's what he's doing. He's like, mm, I think you got some mustard on there. <laughs> But what happens when they get the mustard out in one sport with feeling? It seems Buffy and Sheila are tied for the title of most troublesome student in his school. They have the same number of absences and fight starting incidents. But while Buffy has never stabbed a teacher with pruning shears... Sheila has never burned down a gym. (laughs) Which, okay, is that really fair to bring up? I mean, provided, of course, Sheila's stabbing of a teacher happened at Sunnydale. Because if it did, and we're truly playing... Also, why was she not expelled? I'm sorry. I don't (laughs) care if it's... 1997 or now if you stabbed a teacher you would be expelled from the school and probably not allowed to come back it yeah well yeah it is sunnydale i guess i guess maybe the teacher didn't press charges i don't know (laughs) what's our excuse from last episode it's the hell mouth (laughs) it's the hell mouth i mean it's the hell mouth when you can't explain something it's just it it's the hell mouth it's the hell mouth yeah no there's there's a moment in the last episode that we recorded where we I mean, talked about that. <laughs> it's just, can you think about going to a school in which you would stab a teacher with shears and instead of getting expelled, they're like, you get to organize parent teacher night? I mean, like, no. I, I just none of that confused. <laughs> none of it. No. Look, it's it's teen it's teen television, a supernatural show on the WB. Just don't think about it too much, Jackie. <laughs> At least with Buffy and the burning down the school thing, we there's, know there's, yeah. there's a level of plausible deniability too. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. no actual real proof that she burned down the school. It's It just becomes this, oh, well, we think you did. Yeah, but maybe Sheila had a reason. Maybe She's she- like, I hate math! <laughs> <laughs> Look, I wish I could have stabbed my math teacher, but... <laughs> I would have gotten expelled. <laughs> yes. Yes. We would have gotten expelled at, at, at our school. I also was never described as sexy and slovenly, so. <laughs> no. <laughs> Most people aren't. <laughs> Snyder has decided that due to this little game of who can be expelled faster they have going on, they will be in charge of the upcoming parent-teacher night. Refreshments, banners, cleaning up the lounge, the whole thing. It's something he says that will determine what he tells their parents come Thursday night. Two things. He does say something about provided Buffy has any parents and Sheila has any teachers left. So the the staffing incident must have taken place at Sunnydale High, which... Totally makes bringing up the gym unfair, but I know Snyder did yeah, not Yeah, because care at about least the rules. gym was a different school. school. 
And again, we see him using school activities slash volunteering <laughs> as a form of correcting behavior. He could have just given Buffy and or Sheila detention, could have suspended them, could have just told them he was looking forward to having a very interesting conversation with their parents. But no, he charges them with parent-teacher night. Like, this is what I find so oddly fascinating about Snyder. Because he hates his students and is going to, like, expel these people. I smell expulsion and a hint of jail. And then he's like, no, no, you will be in the talent show. No, no, you will do parent-teacher night. No, no, you will take small children, trick-or-treating. Like, Which is actually something you would have thought Flutie would do because he was all yeah. into reforming. Yeah, so yeah. you would have assumed that a teacher who's more interested in seeing those persons reformed would would offer you the option of okay you have to do some sort of community service you know and and especially knowing later on that Snyder is in cahoots with the mayor you start you're it's it starts to become weird where he's like interested in student reform but also interested in murdering the town <laughs> it's like so I like I think this all plays in to the fact that Snyder is in with the mayor and yeah. Snyder knows what's going on because I don't know if Snyder knows about Buffy or suspects or whatever, but I feel like he's almost keeping an eye on her for the mayor. Yeah. And then notice she gets expelled at the end of season two, about to be season three. So as the mayor doesn't really need the vampire population taken care of anymore... Yeah. That yeah, it's kind of fine to expel her. Yeah, see that's what I that's what I always thought that Snyder's mostly was there to keep an eye on her on behalf of the mayor. Like he is the eyes of the mayor in the school. So he is, even if he doesn't exactly know what Buffy is, he is still there with that purpose. And like that's she's his, worth watching for the mayor. Yeah. And that's all he knows. Like he's, he's there because of the mayor. He doesn't need to know why. Yeah. And also like having her in school, she is where they can see her. Yeah, exactly. Which is why he's not just, suspending her or expelling yeah. her yeah because now, she's in the, the school. and she's not the, <laughs> she's not here we don't need her like no Sheila can go yeah I like Sheila but Sheila can go for the mayor's purposes yes outside Buffy exits the building along with Sheila trying to put together a game plan and saying they can work on the banners at lunch the next day but Sheila's only half listening if even in scanning the street for meat pie the script says his name is Meat Pie. Meat Pie. Yeah. Guy she goes running to. His name is Meat Pie. He also looks like a 40-year-old biker, so it's... He does. There's all kinds of questions. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. (laughs) Xander and Willow join Buffy, and Buffy laments that that is what her mother sees. She looks at her, and she sees a Sheila. They try to assure her that that isn't true, that Sheila is a whole other level, like started smoking in fifth grade other level. Willow mentions that once she was a lookout, something Xander says makes her bad to the bone. Oh. It's not fair. Buffy's the slayer. Clearly, that's going to involve some fighting and skipping class. She bets none of the other slayers had to deal with high school. Xander tells her it's no biggie. They'll throw a great soiree, one, one the parents will love. You know, provided nothing bad happens between then and Thursday. It's a comment that has both girls on him immediately. Why did he say that? Doesn't he know he just jinxed them? That of course (laughs) now something bad is going to happen? They walk away leaving Xander whose shirt is giving off major Moana vibes. (laughs) To hug his bag. They don't know. It could be different. Spoiler alert. 
It's not going to be different. No, it's not. I do like, I, I must say, going back to what Buffy said about her mom seeing a Sheila when she sees uh, Buffy. I I do like in the end of the episode, we have the mom say, telling Buffy how proud she is of her because mm-hmm. we've had this whole theme last season where Joyce was just worried about Buffy burning down schools and being bad and everything. And so it was, it was nice to see that, that um, moment of union between the mom and the daughter with yeah. the mom being like, I'm really proud of you. You know, I do. I love the end of this episode. Joyce is just, is just so good throughout it. And this whole season, like leading up until the end of the season with Joyce, I, I just love the growth that she gets to go through and even going into the next season, learning everything. It's a fun ride. So our next scene, we see a car crash into the Sunnydale sign. <laughs> yes. Heavy, metal- <laughs> Heavy metal plays as someone steps out of the car. At first, all we see are boots, but then the camera travels up and it's Spike! Yay! Yay! And I love that they reprise this scene on, I think it's Lover's Walk, when he comes back and Drew has left him. Yep, yep. It's such an iconic entrance. It really is. And we're going to talk about Spike's entrances, because Spike's entrances throughout this episode are about as extra as you can get. It's so, like, and having this be the introduction to him is just so perfect. Like you said, he's so extra, and he's so over the top compared to Angel, where he just... He's brash, he's loud, he's British, he's fantastic. I I also, you know, it's a testament to the actor who's American but British trained, uh, mm-hmm. James Marsters, who he, he was supposed to be just a short arc. Yep. And the fans went nuts for him and they realized that they just couldn't kill him off. Yeah, when I was looking through, was it the Guide to Monsters? Just to make sure there were no little tidbits I missed. They were talking about how like Spike was a favorite, not just of the fans, but everybody loved writing him. Yeah. The writers adored writing Spike and Drew. They this, they thought they were the best. Marty, I don't know if it was Marty or Jane, but of course, but one of them was like, we just sat there. We were like, so what if Sid and Nancy were vampires? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're just so much fun. They're, they're just, it's, it brings a whole different level to the show. Like whenever you introduce a new character to be reoccurring, they have to have an impact. Mm -hmm. And Spike literally drove into Sunnydale like a wrecking ball and into our hearts forever. (laughs) He crashed into our hearts like the Sunnydale side. (laughs) That could be that could that could be his his character description. He crashed into our hearts. I was doing some uh, research before this episode, and I, I saw that Spike has continuously been on uh, lists of top favorite vampires yeah. in pop mm-hmm. culture for people. Um, and I think part of that has to do with we'll see in this episode the fact that you really don't know what he's going to do next yes and also like like we said like through this season every time he pops up you just don't know what he's going to do and he's just so different from every other character that we had on this show so far Mm -hmm. so yes (laughs) he lights a cigarette looks around and remarks 
home sweet home. So in the script, Spike's introduction is given as thus. We see his foot first, stepping out a shit kicker steel toed boot. (laughs) As he walks in front of the car, the camera arms up, revealing his punkish outfit, his long coat. As he puts a cigarette to his lips, we reach his face. He looks young, his eyes sparkling with anarchy. He smiles as he lights the cigarette and... Oh, yeah, he's a vampire. That's fantastic. Can we also talk about how this exact outfit is pretty much the only thing he wears for most of the entire show? I can remember the last scene in season seven. I think he's still wearing this outfit. No. Or a variation thereof. He might go back to wearing this at the end of season seven. But season seven, I believe, is when we see his outfits change the most. And I believe that's a reflection of the fact he now has a soul. Because I know there's the one episode in season seven where he has that like bright blue sweater on. Oh, well, there there was there are some episodes where um, we have the alternate reality episodes, you know, the one where he's wearing tweed because he's Randy Giles, son. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and there's uh, the one where he like where he's like up and like because he tries to go on a date with Buffy and he's like wearing like the khaki pants. Yes. And, like, and then there's one where him and Buffy are both brainwashed and they're getting married and and he's wearing blue. Something I think. blue. I love yeah. that one. Oh my god! I love, yes. Thank you for reminding me of of him in the tweed. I <laughs> love that so much. I can't wait to get to Tabula Rasa. That's one of my things. I love the alternate. This is what I one of the things I love about both sci-fi and fantasy is like I love anything to do with time traveling and I love alternate reality stuff. Oh yeah. So when you can have the characters get out of their element, like band candy or Halloween or or Tabula Rasa, it's it's really fun. And I'm sure it's tons of fun for the actors too. Yeah. Plus like I, I I've been saying that this show, because of the supernatural nature of it, you can do all of those very special episodes that you get in teen television, but it twists it on its head and does it in a fresh and, you know, hilarious way. You know, yes. don't <laughs> don't talk to strangers on the internet, you know? Exactly. There might be a demon. There might be a demon, says the people who became friends from the internet. <laughs> I can't find any full body shots of him from that last episode, but he is still wearing the duster and dark pants. It looks like he's wearing... Jackie just wanted an excuse to look up pictures of him. Yeah. Yes. We know know how this goes. Okay. Credits, still awesome. We return from the credits and go straight to the layer of the annoying one, where we are told that someone needs to take the place of the master. A tricky task seen as how the slayer will kill anyone who tries. Well then, perhaps the one to take his mantle should be the one that kills her. I love this. (laughs) I love how this random vampire makes this suggestion like, whoever's the next in charge should kill her. I will kill her. Like, he totally sayst moi that shit. Oh yeah. And it's hilarious because (laughs) because you... The van- the master was the oldest living vampire on record until this yeah. point, and Buffy killed him. So the fact that he's so nonchalantly just like, yes, it will be me, random day player who you've never <laughs> seen before. Yeah, no. The annoying one asks if he can do it, and he says yes, that come Saturday on the Feast of St. Vigius, their powers will be at their peak. He'll kill the Slayer, and it will be the greatest event since the crucifixion. And he should know he was there. Okay, 
Now, before we get into what happens next and the absolute epic response given to that claim, I have a few questions. One, isn't the annoying one the master's successor? Why do they keep saying they have to find one? Wasn't the whole point of all the lessons the master was teaching him in the first season that he was to succeed the master? I don't know. You know what happened is that kid would not put on the pleather onesie that they wanted to give him. And they were like, fuck it. We're going to have to find someone else to dress up. You know That's what? Fine. You know what? I think the uh, less fun uh, reasoning is probably the fact that if the kid takes over, like, he's a child. So actor wise, like, what are they going to do with him? Plus, also... He's going to get older, so... Yeah, well, that's no. exactly why they had to get rid of him in, in this episode, because they they were... The kid had already supposedly had a growth spurt, and yeah. that's why he's sitting, so yeah. they... They were, he was already aging out of the role. Yeah. Unfortunately, when you hire a child actor for a vampire role, it's... You, you only have a limited time span that you can you can use them. So yes, that's why we have to find somebody new, Mary. And Mary, yes. you know what? I'm going to Anne Rice this. Oh. If you have a Claudia character, the vampires will eventually see it as an abomination because it's a child and we'll have to get rid of it. That, that is fair. That yeah. is fair. And we're going we're gonna to talk about this because we're going to see some parallels to Claudia at the end of this episode. Yes. Yes, we are. Because the anointed one makes out with Brad Pitt in this episode. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. And two, where do all these vampires keep coming from? <laughs> like, yes. Joe! Drawn- Joe the vampire who lives next to Angel is making the new vampires. We've discussed this. <laughs> Okay. We actually, me and Mary actually did discuss this. So I was like, all right, I know that the Hellmouth like draws vampires in and like they, but how are they finding the annoying one? Is he like sending out his e-blasts? Like he got, he got a hold of the monk's list and he was, he just hijacked the monk's list. He's like, is anybody listening to me? It's the Hellmouth. Anyway, said vampire's claim is met with every vampire who said he was at the crucifixion was actually there. It would have been like Woodstock. <laughs> Spike has arrived, clearly having been on the e-blast we just mentioned. <laughs> I also love how Spike shunned this man because as audience members, we're all laughing because we're thinking Buffy killed the master, the oldest vampire on record. And now here you are, random dude, saying you're going to kill the Slayer and saying you're older than the Master. Because I, the Master was what? Like, I can't remember how old. Yeah, he was like middle ages. Yeah. So Crucifixion would put him at before that, yeah. right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> middle ages is like, what, 1400s? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, yes. So it would, that random ass cowboy looking vampire is like, I'm old enough for the crucifixion. So it's so nice. Buffy, the series does this again and again, where they do a nod to the audience, understanding the ridiculousness of some of these characters that in a different show and other shows, they would just bring in as a plot point and not nod to the ridiculousness of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate this series for continually doing that yeah they they really there really is a meta element to it a lot like they don't break the fourth wall but they kind of wink at it they know it's there it's there 
they're acknowledging that they know and it doesn't take itself too seriously. Like anytime it starts to get too serious, they bring it back. Mm -hmm. Now Woodstock. Spike was actually at Woodstock. Fed on a flower child, spent the next six hours watching his hand move. (laughs) Great line. And an interesting little world building tidbit tucked in there. So if a vampire feeds on someone who is drunk and or under the influence of psychedelics, they experience the effects. I was actually going to to bring that up. Yeah, that's a very interesting thing that even though they're not alive, they can still get side effects from somebody that they fed on. They can also just get drunk. Yeah. As we see with Spike in like after Drew leaves him, he's just flat out getting drunk. Yeah. So like that's that is very, very interesting little world building tidbit that just got tucked in there. The vampire who is talking tries to rush Spike and he just punches him (laughs) asking who they have to kill to have a bit of fun around there. Like Spike wasn't standing just outside listening to this entire conversation and waiting for the moment when he could make as dramatic an entrance as possible. He is a dramatic bitch. Like he's the most dramatic bitch. And that's why we love him. We've already Mm -hmm. talked about how extra he is like he made the entrance into Sunnydale he made the entrance here the annoying one asks who he is and this is when we officially learn Spike's name or at least his preferred one we'll get to his actual name later (laughs) Spike recognizes the annoying one and says he's read about him where where has he read about him on his e-blast so he read about him because he got the email I was gonna say there's probably a newsletter So there is probably a newsletter, but I also have another theory here. And we'll talk about this in a few scenes when we talk about some of the dialogue in the bedroom. We know that Spike has been searching for a way to cure Drusilla. So it does make sense that Spike would be looking into the lore. And so he could have come across the prophecies of the Anointed One. Yes, but I still but like still, the idea. I just was like, yeah. I still was like that he was like, I've read about you. And I'm like, what? where? Newsletter. Newsletter. I mean, like, social media isn't really a big thing, so it couldn't be on no. Twitter or anything. Oh, social media was a thing. Just all. <laughs> I feel like Spike would have an Instagram. Oh, and- he would. Oh, my God. Yes, of course he would. We've well, all- vampires can't be photographed in this but he's World. not. Yes, they can. They can? He, oh. He, Halloween. He takes the video of Buffy fighting. Yeah. So, the yeah, the vampires can be seen. But I'm even- actually so glad that there's no social media. I mean, I do. I, I have read the, the new comics in which they, you know, have added some of the social media aspects and it works in that realm. But it's so much more fun to actually have to do some of the legwork here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I like I like how they're not always able to to be reached, you know, because they don't have cell phones. Because, I mean, if the apocalypse comes, beat me. Mm-hmm. I just, I feel like some of this wouldn't work in the modern day. I mean, they do. Like, yes, they like we've said, they do make it work in the comics. They find ways to make it work. But the whole, like, so your mom goes out of town and the only way she can reach you is on the house phone. So if she thinks you're out with your friends. yeah. She's not like, it's not like there's a cell phone that's ringing and ringing and ringing and you're ignoring it while you're fighting this vampire. And so your like parents are getting super worried. Yeah, yeah. There's, I think the 90s really was a good time for something like this, especially Mm -hmm. with a teenager, because we weren't always connected. So a lot of things you could get away with. 
And I like the, you, you have the Scooby gangs. They, they have to go into the library because there's not, all of the research isn't all available on the computer because there's only one computer literate person in the group. Yep. And you don't have a laptop. So you can't, that person's not going to just be at home doing the research. Yeah. And you, cause you always get like Willow finds records and stuff. So there's all of that kind of stuff that would be available online. And again, like we have so much that's digitized and so much that's available online that she find things in two seconds. But for some of this, we'd have to assume that the Watchers Council has interns that are scanning in their documents. That's true. Because that the kind of stuff Giles finds would most likely still be in books. Yeah, because remember what happens the last time they scanned a book? Yeah, we don't scan books. We don't do that. No, no. Scanning demons. Sorry. Sorry about the ghosts. <gasps> ghosts on the internet. He tells the annoying one that he has slayer problems. Bad lot, really. He says the thing that works best is killing them. The annoying one asks if he can do it. And he says, yeah, he's bagged a couple of slayers in his time. He doesn't like to brag, though. (laughs) Oh, who is he kidding? He loves to brag. (laughs) That's when the camera moves to her. Drusilla, the apparent queen of our hearts. I love her. Spike is just starting to tell the story of the Boxer Rebellion, a story we will learn about in great detail down the road. When he almost senses her, he turns to look and immediately the vamp face is gone and he is all hard eyes. Mm. Because now that she has entered the room, nothing else matters. He goes to her concerned. He says she shouldn't be up and about. She, however, is intrigued by all the people. Are they nice people? Spike says they're getting along. She approaches the annoying one, also knowing who he is, or at least that he has power. She says she could feel it from outside. She asks him if he likes daisies before telling him how she planted daisies deep in the ground, but they withered and died. Everything she puts in the ground withers and dies. This revelation seems to distress her, and with voice bravering, she tells Spike that she's cold. Without even a thought, his jacket comes off and drapes around her shoulder. Nothing is going to discomfort Drusilla on his watch. He tells her that he's got her, and she says that she's a princess. Yes. Yes, she is. Mm. On this, Spike will hear no disagreements. (laughs) They pull each other close and Drew nicks Spike's cheek, drawing blood. Blood which she instantly licks off, healing the cut in the process. I think this is the only time we see that happen. Yeah, I I can't think of... I know that that's, like, a big thing in some other vampire lores Mm -hmm. that, like... There's something in vampire saliva that, like, heals wounds. So, like, you can feed on someone, and as long as you don't kill them, you can, like, close the wounds and send them on their way. Yeah. But we don't really see a whole lot of that in Buffy. Yeah. They also, again, we've said before, they start threads, but sometimes they don't get, get back to it. I will say one of the things I appreciated was the immediate introduction that Spike has killed two Slayers. Because we have random (laughs) vampire, like the random vampire out of nowhere saying he can kill Buffy. And we're like, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, whatever. And then having a villain come in with that kind of weight saying, yes, I have killed Slayers. You, you, you go, oh, okay, I'm going to take this person, this character seriously now, you know. And you believe him. You believe him. You don't just think he's saying he killed two Slayers. Because he's not like he, he doesn't. When he delivers it, again, like he said, he doesn't like to brag, but like the way he initially delivers it, you can tell he's serious about it. Like he's not coming in like random day player vampire number one. No. You know, you believe him that he did Mm -hmm. it. 
Spike tells the others that he and Drew are moving in. He'll kill the Slayer as long as the annoying one keeps his flunkies from trying anything behind Spike's back. The talk of the Slayer distresses Drew. She can't see her. It's dark where she is. She makes Spike promise to kill her. Kill her for princess. He promises to chop her up before asking the Slayer. Is she tough? I want to go right into what this transitions into (laughs) because it's just so nicely done. Silly, but nicely done. However, I can't because we need to talk about Spike and Drew. Yes, we do. And we need to talk about that entrance because watching it, even now, I have watched this episode probably more times than I can count. And every time this scene comes on and she comes in and he just, I swoon a little. Yeah. Because like, th- this is peak romance. And and I love, I mean, you guys know, you guys hear this every episode. I love Spike with Buffy. Yes. Absolutely. But there is always this tiny little piece of me that wished that in the end, Spike and Drew had found their way back to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, they, they were, they were like the epitome of true love. And the thing is, it's like, I know that a lot of people argue some, like a lot about if vampires can really love Yes, you just, actually the next thing in my notes is that this goes back to that conversation yes. of can vampires love? And, you, and this is the scene that I like Vanna White to. Yeah, you just look at Spike and the way that he treats Drew and how caring he is and that he is looking for a way to cure her. There's no way that you can say that he doesn't love her. Yeah, no, I mean, he he clearly, he can love, and, and clearly he loves Drew. Like, he loves Drew with every fiber of his undead being. She is the only thing in the world that matters to him. And it, it's nice to see other, other sides of your villains. Yes. So we have, um, obviously we have Angel on the one spectrum where he's all good vampire. Yeah. And then you have people that are like the master where they're all bad vampires. Mm-hmm. So when you have a character that is doing evil things, but is also capable of great love, it puts you in that spot where, where you, you're rooting for the villain on some level. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it more compelling. Yeah. And also because he is such a fascinating villain, you know, he does have layers to him. He's not just, like you said, he's not just evil like the master. No. You know, and the master was doing things for the master's reasons, but Spike just wants to have fun. Like, that is his whole motivation. Like, people get killed in the process, but he just wants to have fun doing it. What is it? Chaotic evil? Chaotic evil. Yes. Like, yeah, you don't know what he's going to do. And that is the fun part of him. So two other things. Um, One, Juliet Landau did not have to audition for Drusilla. Well, might have to to do with the fact that her dad is Martin Landau. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, so actually the creator was so taken by her performance in Ed Wood that he met with her. And within an hour of meeting with her, she was offered the role. And then the little thing that Spike and Drew do where they almost look like they're going to kiss and then they turn their heads. So they're like leaning against each other. That came from the chemistry read between James and Juliet. And it was something they did there and they loved it. It's like, that's why it's on all the promo shots. They have such killer chemistry. Like it is, you believe, like sometimes when you have, especially when it's your first meeting for a pair that have been involved because they haven't acted enough together. You don't always believe that they're in love and that they've, they've been together. But yeah, from the first moment that they're together, you go, Oh shit, 
Mm -hmm. know, they are a pair like that. Yeah, that's what I. I, Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I have no like I just have no. Yeah, it's just. Yeah. 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 No. Anyway. The Slayer. The image we are presented with next leads us to believe that no, the Slayer is not so tough. As she is in her bedroom, brushing her hair in front of the mirror and letting out a small ow every time she hits a tangle. (laughs) It seems the cream rinse she spent a good portion of her allowance on is neither creamy nor rinsy. (laughs) I love that scene. It's so so good. It's so realistic. It's so like... And, I, and again, like we, we talk about how we like a transition. That is another good transition because That's talking about transition. how tough she is. But here she is brushing oh. her hair and she's hurting herself. Joyce comes to see what's up and tells Buffy she got the mail. Mail that included a notice for parent-teacher night on Thursday. Joyce asks if Buffy was planning on telling her about said parent-teacher night. And she says she meant to for the last two weeks. Well, what does Buffy think her teachers will say about her? She says she thinks they will all agree that she always brings a pen to class, ready to absorb the knowledge. And this absorption rate, how is it reflected in her test scores? Buffy asks if one can really tell anything from test scores. And Joyce says they most certainly can. They can tell if one is ever going out with her friends again. (laughs) Joyce says she looks forward to meeting the principal. And Buffy remarks, won't that be something? She is not wrong. Coming to sit beside her daughter, Joyce says she knows there is more to life than grades and tests and not getting kicked out of school. But they had to move once because of her issues. Joyce had to start a whole new business in a whole new town. So I think what Joyce meant to say. <laughs> I just, I just because all I could think of was what you and Dylan call her an art theme. I'm like, is this really a new legitimate business choice? <laughs> So that, you know, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I think what Joyce meant to say was that she had to have everything for her black market art dealings moved to Sunnydale. And does Buffy know how risky that is? How close the FBI probably came to finding out? You know, Joyce, sure, new business. But you know what? Like, Buffy getting kicked out of school and the the gym burning down, it took the heat off of Joyce and her black market business. Mm -hmm. So, so, Yeah. That's why Joyce is proud of her daughter in the end of this episode, because she's like, I know she can handle my art thievery business. <laughs> but it's even funnier, like, when you get to, to Dead Man's party, like, they let me borrow this stuff. Do you like my mask? Isn't it pretty? It raises the dead. Americans. <laughs> But yeah, like, I don't know any, like, like. <laughs> no one is like, please take our priceless pieces of art home. There is no, no explanation. There's, there's no reason, no reason for it at all. <laughs> Buffy gets that her mother doesn't want to do it again. And Joy says what she wants is to not be disappointed in her again. Okay, ouch. <sighs> Buffy says she doesn't want that either, that she's trying, but it's hard. There's a lot of pressure on her. Joyce says, just wait until she gets a job. I don't know, Joyce. You don't really have the most difficult job Job. in the world. She has a very stressful job. (laughs) Doing crime is stressful, (laughs) people. She gets up to leave and and Buffy also stands. (laughs) She goes to her dresser, opening a drawer that contains steaks and holy water, quietly remarking that she has a job. Sunnydale High. Sheila is a no-show. And so Willow is helping Buffy work on the banners. First off, Buffy's lettering on said banners is beautiful. 
Second, she and Willow are both ultra adorable in this scene. Buffy in overalls and the tie-dyed shirt, and Willow in a Scooby-Doo tee. Yep. I love both their outfits, but especially Buffy's. Willow says that Sheila frequents this really sketchy bar, the fish tank. We can I'm sorry, this is going back to, to Dylan's comment on the small child <laughs> nightclub. So at least we've put into this effect that, okay, there is some nightclub in town where they will admit these people. How is Sheila getting into a bar? I mean, I guess she has a fake ID, maybe? A fake ID and a 40-year-old boyfriend. Yeah, that's, yeah, we remember. Meat pie. (laughs) Good old meat pie. He gets you the fake IDs. I mean, you know, there's there's a black market art ring going on. There's fake IDs. Also, in the next line, Willow tells us that the fish tank sometimes gets raided. So I really don't think it's on the up and up. No, no. So I, I really don't think they fish care. Tank. No adult <laughs> is going to a bar. No reasonable adult is like, oops, got to go to the fish tank. <sighs> Buffy asks Willow to help her cram some French as she doesn't want their teacher saying she's an imbecile. (laughs) Willow thought they were going to the bronze, you know, because Angel. That's when we see Xander is also helping. He comes over saying if Angel happens to meet another nice girl, so be it. Studying comes first. That's it. They're going to the bronze. (sighs) It's fine. Buffy can study and be with them and be with Angel and do parent-teacher night and make her mother proud. Just as long as she doesn't have to enter Giles and Jenny with the other thing she's going to have to do. According to Jenny's research, this Saturday is the night of St. Vigius. Let me guess, Buffy says, he didn't make balloon animals. <laughs> Correct, Buffy. He did not. Maybe he did. You don't know his life. Did any, did, can we just go back to the fact that they're going to be studying at the small child night? Yeah, club? I know. It's, no. They, uh, you they can't they get any homework done in a place where it's like noisy and loud and dancey. I know. And like, I, this is not the only time we're going to see them. Like, I know. I know. I know. And I know I've said it before. It's just a place to have people gather. But it is the weirdest establishment. It is just it's so like weird. It's like Starbucks meets a nightclub. There's so much yes. there. There's so much happening. And I really, we really need shirts for the small child nightclub. Yes, we need shirts that say the bronze, Sunnydale's premier small child nightclub. Yeah, yep. <sighs> okay. <laughs> St. Vigius is apparently the patron saint of vampires. Active in the Middle Ages, he led a crusade of sorts through Edessa, Haran, and other places throughout the Middle East. So great was the carnage caused by he and his minions that it has since been commemorated in a holiday. The Night of St. Vigius. St. Vigius. <laughs> a night vampires prepare for with prayer and fasting, working their bloodlust into a frenzy. Only, only on this show are they like, we just need a vampire holiday. I, I love all of their, like, all of the religious vampire shtick that they get going on. So, okay, so we're going to get into that because I, I checked. There is no actual saint named Vigius. I, you know, I didn't know if there was something they twisted to their purposes, yeah. but there is no Saint Vigius. But even without him being real, I do ha- I have a lot of questions. Like, why do vampires have a patron saint? Are all <laughs> Buffy vs. vampires masochists? Why do they employ so much iconography of things that can hurt them? Also, is the can you imagine the Catholic Church well, maybe actually 
actually, yes. <laughs> you answered your own question. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Answer my own question. Yes, the Catholic Church is canonizing people who are vampires. Yes. Yeah. Also, is this a yearly holiday? Yes. Um, I don't know. Why do we never hear of it again? Remember what I said before about them starting threads and never getting back to it. They, this, like the first two seasons are full of this. And they really are. They really are. I would have liked to have a, a yearly St. Vigius Day and then it became a joke on the show and then everyone was like, um, we have to watch out for St. Vigius. Yeah, like everybody days. everybody has it on their calendars just to make mm-hmm. sure, you know. And then it would be nice if they would have had like all the other little holidays like, oh, oh let's, let's pencil it in. Oh, it's we, we have to watch out for this one. It's, yeah, like it's the... F- Feast of the Virgins or something. Ah, that sounds like a fun one. (laughs) Buffy says if she makes it through parent-teacher night, then she'll see what she can do about Saturday. A comment that causes Giles to tell her she's being flipped and that she knows what happens when she allows her life to interfere with her slang. Okay, Giles, your council mentality is showing. I love Giles. I love, I mean, we, I've waxed poetic at length about Giles, but, and we're really going to see it later on when we get to season three, but... Like, she has to have her normal life. Yeah. She has to do stuff because that's part of her cover because she is a teenage girl in school. Yep. This is not the old days where a teenager could just walk around la-di-da-di-da and not go to school. Like, she's... She's got shit to do. Yes, she does. Buffy assures him that her banner making will not get her killed, just like she hopes her slain will not get her expelled. Willow and Xander both offer to help with the preparations, Willow doing research and Xander whittling stakes. And hey, while he whittles, he plans on whistling a jaunty tune. <laughs> like, ser- seriously, how do people dislike Xander? I love Xander. I do. I, just, too. I don't get I don't, it. I'm, I just don't I understand, understand this. It. Yeah. Giles starts to remind Buffy of her responsibilities, how when it comes to the fight, it will be her and her alone as she is the slave. Before he can finish, he sees Snyder in the distance and so quickly (laughs) changes the subject. Slaves. They are all slaves (laughs) to the idiot box. He looks at Jenny and the two of them book it out of there as Snyder comes over asking if Willow and Xander are helping in Sheila's place. What? No, they're hindering, really. And Sheila, she didn't ditch. She went out to get more paint. As they're saying this, Sheila arrives, obviously hungover, and brilliantly described in the script as Marilyn Monroe after a hard night of kennedy <laughs> First she's sexy and slovenly, and now... <laughs> now she's Marilyn Monroe. Don't understand. <laughs> She's a student. When Marilyn Monroe slept with Kennedy, wasn't she like late 20s, early 30s? Yeah. David, David, we need to have a word. I know. I just, David's all over the place with this he is. Yeah. We know he likes Marilyn Monroe and he likes people with food on their shirts. His ideal would be Marilyn Monroe with a bunch of crap all over her clothes. Jackie. <laughs> just speaking the truth. Just trying to speak the truth. I really hope Mr. Frog realizes that he's going to have to now make us an image with like mustard <laughs> stains all over Marilyn Monroe's like pocket. Oh my God. What dress. You know what? I have a t shirt that has Marilyn Monroe on it. So I'm going to have to like put some stains on it and. <laughs> 
just don't go up to David Greenwald wearing that shirt. Oh, God, no, no, no. (laughs) Buffy just doubles down on her story, going over to Sheila and saying, it's fine that there was no more teal. She knows she wanted everything to be perfect, but really, it should be okay with what they have. Snyder tells them just to make sure everything is perfect and walks away. As Sheila thanks Buffy for covering, she asks if she really burned down a building once. (laughs) As Buffy reluctantly admits it was more than once, Sheila declares her to be cool. So she must be including the old chemistry building in that count. Because until now, we've only ever heard of it being the gym at Henry. Yeah, I think, isn't she including the some assembly required? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. that was last episode. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So- so it, and now if there's two. Yeah, no, I like how she I like how she calls back to that. She's like, yeah, well, n- now it was two. Yeah. So there is a tiny bit that comes after the cool in the original script where Buffy makes it clear that she does not condone such behavior <laughs> and actually invites Sheila to join them at the bronze. However, Sheila says she can't because she is banned for life due to threatening the bartender with a broken bottle. <sighs> I almost wish they would have included that because then it explains why we never see Sheila at the bronze. Although the bronze isn't as cool as like, what was it? Fish tank? Fish fish tank. The fish tank. Yeah. Yeah. At the small child nightclub, a band, Nickel, plays while Xander dances, looking adorably dorky doing so. And Willow and Buffy study French. It's not going well. As Buffy says something along the lines of, I want the cow to test me on Thursday. And she says it wrong. Yes. No, that that is la vache doit me touche de la jeudi. <laughs> you also probably said it wrong. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Buffy says she stinks and Willow says she's just unfocused. It's angel message. It wasn't like he promised he'd be there. It was more casual, maybe kind of deal. Xander heads back to the table and tells them that one of them needs to come dance with him. He's all alone out there. Willow reminds him that they're studying and he says it's been like 12 minutes. They deserve a break. 12 minutes? No wonder Buffy's brain is fried. She gets up to go with Xander and who do we see lurking in the background? Spike. (laughs) As Buffy and Xander drag Willow onto the dance floor, Spike watches them, observing for a few moments before telling one of the other vampires to go get something to eat. And then, with the worst acting ever, oh my god, Spike, be less obvious, (laughs) informs someone near Buffy that he needs a phone because there's some big guy out there trying to bite someone. (laughs) I just... When he does that, he's like, I need that. I was like, oh my God, please. You need to be better at this. Oh, but you know what? Everybody is oblivious to how bad the acting is. Buffy takes off to investigate and Spike smirks. Outside, one of the vampires is indeed attacking a girl when Buffy crashes the party. She separates the two and fights the vampire, telling Willow and Xander to get out of there and find one of the stakes in her bag. Of course, through all this, Spike is watching from the sidelines, getting a better idea of her and her techniques. Inside, Xander goes through the bag, finding first the yo-yo from the previous episode (laughs) and a tampon, which he quickly and comically (laughs) backs away before discovering the stake. Best part? That is actually written into the script. Nice. Xander races to the table, upends Buffy's purse, claws through lipstick, makeup, hairbrush, a tampon. He drops it like a hot tampon, <laughs> finally finds a steak, runs. I, I I also appreciate this episode having Spike observe 
her yeah. her fighting techniques. And it's another reason we know he's he's a different caliber of vampire. He's smarter than the others. Yeah, yeah, because he's not just attacking the way that most vampires do. And then, you know, we'll see later on with Halloween, like he's like recording. He's strategic. And that's why that's why that's what makes him a, like a scarier vampire. Yeah, yeah. So I'll go into this again uh, near the end of the episode. But Spike and his observation of Buffy here and the fact that he's like studying her, James has said time and time again that Spike was taken with Buffy from the first time he saw her here in the bronze. Like he was just, I guess, so impressed. And so he's like, yeah, no, Drusilla is not wrong. Spike was attracted to her at least, mm-hmm. if not in love with her from these first moments that he saw her because she, she is different than any other slayer. She, you know, she has this technique and in, in this way about her that that's different than things he's seen. Mm-hmm. And so like, I do like that. Yeah. It, it all goes back to him and, and him watching her and learning her in, in these beginning moments. At least he wasn't stalking her at the high school. <laughs> Don't hate on my boo. I know. I, uh, hey, I love Angel, but. Angel is just <laughs> Angel. I can't. He's so creepy. Like, going back and rewatching the show, I'm like, I, you're very creepy, sir. <laughs> Outside, the vampire seems to have gotten the upper hand, getting Buffy on the ground, but a well-executed kick puts her back in control. He asks Spike, still unseen by the Slayer, for help as Xander arrives, tossing the stake to Buffy. The vampire charges at her, and she dusts him as Spike emerges from the shadows with a slow clap. Another extra entrance. (laughs) Buffy asks who he is, and he tells her she'll find out on Saturday when he kills her. (laughs) Sheila and two guys stumble out of the door of the fish tank. (laughs) Because it can't be the bronze, because she was banned from the bronze. This must be the fish tank. She follows them, presumably towards their car, wanting to make sure they weren't lying about having a caddy because caddies drive her wild. And I feel this is where you can tell an adult wrote this Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't know any teenager that's going to be excited by a Cadillac. No, any teenager would be turned off by a caddy, I would imagine. Like, there, there must be something with, like, David Greenwald. I was going to say, gonna say that, like... We're learning too much about him. <laughs> right? So, okay, so the line about the Cadillac and Sheila is there for a reason. Because Spike owns a Cadillac. It was supposed to be a Cadillac. Oh. But... It and the the car they end up using in the episode is a DeSoto Sportsman. Oh, okay. But in the script, it does say Spike is driving a black Cadillac. Right. So it goes into this whole like Spike is meeting Sheila. She's obsessed with Cadillacs. Of course, she's going to go off with him. Mm-hmm. Yes, but still, like but I'm just like why, why a Cadillac? Spike wouldn't drive a Cadillac. And two, no teenager is going to be like, oh, you have a Cadillac. Yeah. Like, what? Like like you said, Jackie, we are learning way too much about David Greenwald in this episode. David Greenwald just like riding in his Cadillac to pick up Marilyn Monroe with hamburger sauce on her. He's like, I know what she wants. This car. Apparently Oh, oh my God. God. <sighs> one by one, the guys disappear until Spike is right there, right behind her. Like Buffy, she asks who he is, and he responds with a very cheeky, who do you want me to be? 
Okay. Damn, Spike. Ooh. She asked what happened to the other guys, and he says they got sleepy. While she got something a whole lot better. As he saunters away, Sheila calls after him, clearly into him, and asking what his name is. See, that's the other thing is, like, Spike doesn't need a Cadillac. He's an attractive vampire. I, I mean, know. I know. Like, he's, he's this bleach blonde guy in a leather duster and... It's yeah. not like she's going to go up to him and be like, I'm sorry, if you don't have a Cadillac, this is not going to happen. <laughs> That's the deal breaker. This is a no-go. No, no. Oh, you don't have a Cadillac? Oh, no. No. <sighs> Spike. The response comes from Giles as we head over to the library and find the Scoobies engaged in full-on research mode. Giles says the name is a bit unorthodox and that maybe he went by another name in days past. Meanwhile, Xander is not sure on this St. Vigius thing. If they're going to attack en masse, shouldn't they be thinking like vacation? No, they can't run. That would be wrong. But Willow is willing to hide. Can they hide? (laughs) Giles assures them that whoever this Spike is, he can't be worse than anything that they've already faced oh he's worse angel informs them as such as he appears in the library he tells them that once spike starts something he doesn't stop not until everything in his path is dead so he's thorough goal-oriented good to know buffy mentions they were at the bronze and like is this really the time for this Buffy? (laughs) i also it's weird to me that giles doesn't know about spike because weren't all the wouldn't the watchers be trained on someone who killed two slayers in the past? You would think. I mean, we get this watcher later on who did her thesis on Spike. Yeah. But how much? Okay. So how much training did Giles actually have, though? I mean, we know he goes back to the council at some point, but he had those years where he was like, "Fuck you, council! I'm off summoning demons with my boyfriend Ethan." <laughs> And then, but like, because when did he start going by Spike? That's I don't know. They say that the name came from him driving. Yeah. Railroad Spikes, which we never actually see him do it at any point. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know when he started going by Spike. I thought he tried going by Spike as soon as he became a vampire, because I think that's part of the conversation he and angelus have like part of the same conversation where angelus is like why the fuck did you change your accent and he's all like i don't want to be posh no more i'm a rebel (laughs) and so like i don't i don't know i don't remember i don't remember i I can't yeah i can't remember that you know we'll get there when Mm -hmm. we get there She tells Angel he didn't show, and he tells her that she said she wasn't sure she was going. Yeah, because she was trying to seem cool. Two centuries of dating, and he doesn't know when a girl is trying to seem cool? No, Buffy, he doesn't. Because Liam wasn't exactly Mr. Commitment, and then he was kind of with Darla till he got his soul back. And also, like, back when he was alive, you didn't really date somebody. Like, there was courting, but... Yeah, you really didn't date anybody because the girls weren't allowed to be alone with the men. Also, can we talk about how in this scene it feels like Angel just like comes in and then disappears? And I'm like, yes, I don't yes. understand. That's- I mean, I know he's supposed to be a cryptic kind of guy, but it seems very random. So this is literally, and I know, I know you hear me talk about this on the podcast <laughs> all the time. This is literally my problem with Angel and Buffy's relationship because it goes from him just like appearing and saying two words. 
and disappearing to like, we are so in love. And I'm like, you, have you had a full conversation? Have you had a conversation that's more than a cryptic warning? Have you? I, I don't think you have. Off screen. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. But I'm yeah. just like, it, like re-watching it, the progression from like, it does. It, you're really annoying to, you're my one true love, seems really fast. When you watch it, when you watch it originally and you're watching it week to week, and, and it really it's the same with a lot of shows when you watch it, oh, yeah. when you binge watch now, like things seem like it took forever before. And now when you're watching something, you see just how quickly a lot of stuff happened. Mm-hmm. The the other thing in in this episode that was kind of jarring because I don't I you know me I don't I'm not bothered by his crypticness or by him coming or going <laughs> or whatever. I, I what bothered me in this episode was you come in and say you know this vampire intimately and he's dangerous and then you're just like bye and I'm like wait <laughs> shouldn't you tell people more things? <laughs> Be more Jackie? specific. This is the guy who, um, when Buffy went to face the master, was like, well, guess she's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think you're asking a little too much of him here. Remember we had this discussion before, Jackie? Yeah, that's true. Xander had to go get him. Xander has to go get him again. (laughs) Yet everybody hates Xander. Oh, so yes, Angel has not had as much dating experience as Buffy thinks, or as Willow thinks, as she points out, even if he only went on two dates a year, that would mean Angel had had 400 dates. On Buffy's look, she turns her attention to the table. A mace! Why do they call it a mace? Well, Willow, that is because the English word mace comes from the French word masse, as in masse de arms, meaning a large hammer or a hammer with a heavy mass at the end. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> do, 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 do. Giles reminds them that there are currently more pressing issues to discuss. <laughs> like Buffy keeping her mom away from Principal Snyder or you know not dying Giles turns to ask Angel if Spike has ever gone by another name but Angel's gone (laughs) Xander declares that's it he's getting him a collar and a little bell (laughs) I wish I could just disappear when I don't want to like have conversations like that's like the whole it's like the whole thing with Yoda where he yeah no I don't want to answer your question. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm not going to deal with more Skywalker bullshit. I'm just going to die. Yoda is done with the Skywalker bullshit. And we're going to talk about Yoda later. That's why I mentioned it. At the factory slash the annoying one's lair, his followers are doing the whole chanting thing, but we're not really concerned with them. Even though in the original script, we do get a scene with the chanting and the annoying one noticing Spike's absence. But as he's the annoying one, who cares? We're deep below that in Drusilla's bedroom, where she is scolding Miss Edith, one of her dolls, telling her that she speaks out of turn and therefore she will have no cakes. We should probably note that almost all of Drew's dolls are either blindfolded or gagged. Yeah... Yeah. Spike comes in telling her she needs to eat and she says she's not hungry, that she misses Prague. Spike reminds her that she almost died in Prague. (laughs) Stupid mob. I am now 90% sure that this show is where I get my obsession with Prague. (laughs) Like if I'm writing something and I need a random location, like one of my characters is threatening to run away. They usually threaten to run away to Prague. So thank you, Buffy. Thank you for this obsession. (laughs) 
He promises that the energy of the Hellmouth will restore her, make her feel better, and that in a few weeks' time, when things align, the town will burn. As many times as I've seen this episode, it took me until this rewatch to realize that they're talking about what's my line part one and two. Mm -hmm. That they're waiting for the stars to align to perform that ritual. Yep, yep. Spike falls into bread with Drew, and Drew says the others are preparing. Yeah, well, St. Vigius and all. She tells Spike that he should go join the others, that the annoying one doesn't yet trust him, and the others, they follow him. Yeah, yeah, fine, he'll go get his chant on, if she promises to eat something. Something being Sheila, who has been tied up and against the wall this entire time. (laughs) He pushes her to Drew, who catches her, now in vamp face, and tells Miss Edith that if only she had been good, she could watch with the others. So they arrived in town in a car, right? Mm -hmm. Are are we really supposed to believe that all of Drusilla's stuff was in the trunk of that car? Yes. Yes, we are, Mary. Yes, we are. It's just a trunk full of dolls and doilies. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm just going to keep, I'm forever obsessed with like the stupid logistics. I'm like, that bed was not in that car. (laughs) Well, the bed was already there. They just added all the sheets and everything. Or they, or they went and they picked the bed up at a thrift store. Vampire <laughs> thrift, just for True. you. They could have stolen the furniture. All night thrift. All night thrift. Back at Sunnydale High, a banner outside lets us know that the parent-teacher night has finally arrived. As Buffy and the others see to final preparations, Buffy for said parent-teacher night and the others for St. Vigius, Cordelia and Xander whittle stakes sans jaunty tune, while Jenny and Willow check out the weaponry, and Giles looks more into the events of the Night of St. Vigius. Xander asks if anyone remembers when Saturday night meant date night, and Cordelia says he sure doesn't. (laughs) Rude. It is nice, though, to see Cordelia becoming more and more a part of the group. Yeah, like, I, I, throughout season two, I love how she slowly gets worked in there like it's like she is here voluntarily helping with an issue that is not about her being in immediate danger yes exactly yeah she's becoming part of the scooby gang here yay Yay. buffy says the parents will be there in an hour and tries to figure out if there's anything else she has forgotten punch she needs punch cordelia on the other hand says her hands are cramping and wonders how long she's been at it three minutes it's been three minutes Great, so can she go? She doesn't even know why Buffy needs this many stakes. If Spike's as bad as everyone says, then this whole thing is going to be over pretty quickly. (laughs) Not that they're not all rooting for Buffy. They totally are. And she'd be there herself on Saturday if, you know, she didn't have a waxing appointment. (laughs) Buffy tells them to hold down the fort while she goes to find slash make some punch. As she leaves the library, both Xander and Cordy go to steal veggies off the veggie tray. But Buffy comes back with a... No. <laughs> I, a moment I appreciate as a parent. Like, no. <laughs> right before we go to the main event, parent-teacher night. <sighs> Buffy stands behind a table in the lounge serving up drinks as Willow comes to join, asking what kind of punch she made. Lemonade, totally fresh. She hands Willow a cup as Willow asks how much sugar she put in it. Sugar? So it seems, <laughs> judging by Willow's face, that Buffy made her lemonade from just lemon juice and water. <laughs> Ew. But being a good friend and not wanting to discourage her on this very important night of not getting kicked out of school, Willow tells her that it's great. Good. Now all she has to do is keep her mother and Snyder from crossing paths. And speaking of her mother, here comes Joyce. She asks if Buffy did all this and Buffy nods, handing her mother a cup of lemonade and telling her to try it. All while Willow is shaking her head no. (laughs) As Willow thinks no one should try the lemonade except one person and we'll get to that in a little bit. 
Joyce is saved, however, as Buffy spies Snyder approaching, and so sends her mother off with Willow to see the library. No, no, not the library. <laughs> the others are in there studying. French class. They should go to French class. As Willow leads Joyce off, Snyder rushes over, wanting to know if that was Buffy's mom. She says yes, but even if she had introduced them, it wouldn't have done much. You see, her mother speaks very little English. <laughs> Very bad, very, very, very bad excuse, Buffy. Snyder just glares as Buffy checks the clock, 6.15. So I noticed in the background of this scene, there appears to be another student carrying a tray of drinks. So did Buffy recruit others? Or like, does student council usually pitch in at these things? And if they do, how upset were they at Snyder appointing two supposed troublemakers to run an event they would normally handle? Having been on the student council... I would have been pissed. Oh, yeah. No, I would not have been happy at all. I mean, and, and Mary, like Mary knows, like, because the, the two of us are the planners. Mm -hmm. If anybody else would try to take over. No, 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 no. I'd be in Principal Snyder's office. Like, can't you give them something else to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why are they do what? Can, can't there be another thing that they can do? Like, why are they in charge? Why are they in charge she, of my event? She stabbed a teacher. <laughs> she stabbed a teacher what, with pruning shears and she burned down a gym at her old school. How do we know she's not going to burn down this school? Exactly. No, this would not fly. No, no, no. The clock changes to 845 and we see Buffy still in the lounge, anxiously waiting for this night to be over. Cordelia comes to see what's going on, complaining that Giles has them all locked in the library working on her weapons and that even slaves get minimum wage. <laughs> no. Cordy. No, Cordelia. Cordy. No, they don't. No. They really don't. I love Cordelia. She comments on how Buffy is looking not so good. And is she just skipping foundation altogether? <laughs> well, Buffy is loving this bonding moment, really. She has three lives she's trying to contend with. <laughs> and none of them mesh. It's like oil and water and some other non-meshable thing. <laughs> Pointing at Buffy's face, Cordelia comments that she can see the oil. Rude again. <laughs> Joyce and Willow return and Cordelia wants to know if that's Buffy's mom. Because that, that is a woman who can moisturize. Did it like skip a generation? <laughs> they come over and Joyce says that she has seen just about every room on campus. And all right as Buffy's teachers have seemed to step away. Scanning quickly, Buffy sees Snyder approaching and tries to shuffle her mom and Willow off to the boiler room. As you know, it's quite fascinating, the boiler being in the room and all. Not to mention all the horrible things that have happened down there. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, Buffy, send your mother down to the room where one girl got beaten and Willow, Xander, and Giles almost died. That'll be fun. Yeah, we don't, we, we don't go down to the basement. Bad things happen in the basement. Not that it matters, because Snyder gets to them before Buffy can get her mother away. Joyce introduces herself, as does Snyder, and he says, unfortunately, they need to talk, leading Joyce off towards his office. Okay, but um, as Willow said, Buffy did a good job. Like, parent-teacher night looks nice. Yeah. And it's also not over yet. But I didn't, yeah, I didn't get any of that. I was like, I don't understand. Yeah, so if the caveat really was, like, parent-teacher night would decide how much trouble you were in, yeah. Snyder shouldn't have anything to talk to Joyce about yet. Exactly. Yeah. But I understand they're just setting up the whole exchange at the end of the episode. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. 
So they head off and Cordelia remarks that they don't look too happy. Her guess, come the 10th reunion, Buffy will still be grounded. (laughs) Willow tells her to try the lemonade. (laughs) In the library, Giles has found a mention of Spike in the diaries. Seems he is known as William the Bloody and earned the nickname Spike by torturing his victims with railroad spikes. For a moment, it seems they found a bit of good news as he's young, barely 200, not even as old as Angel. But then Giles finds the bit about Spike having faced two slayers in the last century, both of which he killed. Perhaps Xander's suggestion of running away isn't so bad after all. (laughs) Back in the lounge, Joyce and Snyder return, neither looking thrilled. Okay, that's not true. Snyder looks thrilled. Oh, yeah. And just a bit smug. But Joyce... Joyce looks very unhappy. And okay, the direction in the script says Joyce looks at Buffy like she wishes she was never born. (gasps) What? What? No. And I mean, I'm guessing that's probably, again, a direction of like, we want Joyce to look ultra disappointed. Yeah. So when we pull this thing at the end of the episode and like she's actually not mad, it'll have it. But I'm just like, that was a very odd stage direction. Yeah, yeah. You could have just said, and a look of extreme disappointment. Yeah. We've been really, we've been really working out some issues with Dave yes. here tonight. Oh my gosh. She tells Buffy that they're going to the car now. Um, doesn't Buffy need to clean up? Like at least dump the punch and throw the leftover food away? I can understand waiting until tomorrow to like take down the tables and the banners, but like she's kind of in charge of this whole thing. Well, that's what the student council is there for. Okay. They're they're the they're the cleanup crew, which they're probably pissed about. Yeah. And Snyder is going around turning out the lights and, and giving the international signal to those milling about, you know, get the hell out of my school. <laughs> he has just turned off the light next to the huge ass windows in the lounge when Spike and a bunch of other vampires come barreling through them. <laughs> what can he say? He hates to wait. Panic ensues as a few teachers and parents who are left begin scram- scrambling about, screaming, running. Buffy throws a chair at Spike, buying her a few seconds with which to grab her mother's hand and begin running. As Spike tells the other vampires to make sure no one gets out, especially the girl, Buffy takes the adults and tries to lead them towards safety, or at least a good place to hide. Willow and Cordelia are also scrambling to find an elsewhere to be when a vampire grabs Cordelia. Willow just straight up whammies them <laughs> with a bus that's in the hallway before pulling Cordelia through a door. As Buffy and the others enter the hall where the library is, Giles, Jenny, and Xander all rush out of the library to see what the commotion is. Buffy yells to them, warning them of the attack, and they head back into the library (laughs) to barricade themselves and I guess hope no vampires decide to use the back door or break those windows as they so often do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe these, these, uh, these vampires don't know the other ways into the library. That's true. Joe did. They are new. Joe didn't give them the the schematics. Joe hasn't Joe hasn't given their welcome package with no, the map. No, no. They you know, Spike Spike popped in, he kind of took things over. Joe is just sitting at home going, Why did I prepare all this information if you were just gonna ignore it? Joe likes to keep a low profile. Yeah, well, I mean, he's doing a lot of work behind the scenes, so He is. He you is. know, he doesn't want anybody to see him and 
you know, stake him. Buffy, meanwhile, ushers all the parents into a science classroom where they do begin locking and barricading the doors. Right as the power goes out, one of the vampires explains to Spike that he cut the power and that no one got out. And the Slayer? Well, she could have gone either that way or the other way. He wasn't sure. Plus, there were like two other girls. Spike looks at him like he's a complete idiot before turning to the teacher he's been holding on to. Lucky for him, Spike's a veal kind of guy. So the teacher... He's too old to eat, (laughs) but not to kill. He snaps his neck and lets him fall. As the vampire minion guy looks at Spike all like, oh, oh, he's crazy. (laughs) He is clearly not having the vampire fun he was promised. No, no, no. Spike, however, is having the vampire fun he was promised and says he feels better. In the library, Giles tries the phone only to discover that they two are not working. Who are you going to call, Giles? (laughs) You're going to get them killed too. Or I don't know, maybe he was trying to call Angel as he does tell Xander to use the back entrance. Yes. And sneak out, find Angel. Xander doesn't want to leave, not without knowing the girls are all right. Giles reminds him that if they don't get back up, no one will be all right. (laughs) So reluctantly, he leaves. While the parents and teachers try to figure out what the fuck is going on and who these guys are and why their faces are so weird. <laughs> PCP. PCP. <laughs> tells them it's a gang on PCP. That's one of my favorite lines. I know. I love that so much. Goes to escape through a window and Buffy tells him he can't go out there that they'll kill him. He says she can't tell him what to do, but he tells her what to do. No, not this time. He asks her who the hell she is and she says the one who knows how to stop them. Stepping away from Snyder, she begins to look for an alternate way out of the room, like the ceiling tiles, as it wouldn't be the first time she went crawling around in the ceiling. Joyce tells her this is insane, that she knows Buffy's been accused of fighting. Those guys look really mean, and she <laughs> seriously get hurt if she goes out there, which is when she tells her mom her plan. She's not going out, she's going up. Which is good, because Spike is roaming the halls, looking for her and trying the whole here, kitty, kitty thing, trying to get her attention. When that doesn't work, he threatens to kill the first of her friends he sees and use their bones to bash her head in. (laughs) And as the vampires walking with him are dangerously close to discovering Willow and Cordelia's hiding place. But thankfully, Buffy, while out of sight, is unable to be completely silent. And one of the other vampires hears the noise from above, alerting Spike, which has him doing his whole someone's in the ceiling. I love this crazy bitch. Yeah. Yeah, He's so good. Awesome. We go back to the library where Giles is grabbing some weaponry ready to join the fray. (laughs) And he is not really thrilled about because there are at least three vampires in the hallway and three to one or even three to two is not really great odds. And that's assuming they only run into those three. And Giles, Giles, we know what happens when you try to fight. Yeah, no, Giles is not going to end you well. Just, you just, like, it's it's amazing that this poor man doesn't have brain damage with as many times as he's gotten hit over the head. <sighs> Giles doesn't care. He's a watcher, and that means he's supposed to look out for Buffy. Jenny tells him to be careful, and he is just about to begin dismantling the barricade in front of the doors when Buffy falls through the ceiling. <laughs> we'll just add those tiles to the list of repairs then, shall we? Better than a whole window. It is better than a whole window. Giles is clearly glad to see her and asks about the others. She tells him that her mom, Snyder, and four others are in the science classroom. Doesn't know about Cordelia and Willow. They ran the other way. Xander, Giles, 
informs her he went to get Angel. Good. She's going to head out and dispose of the vamps. Once she gets rid of the ones in the hallway, she wants Giles to get her mom out the same way. He asks her to let him help, but Buffy says her mom is in there. And if for whatever reason she doesn't make it out, she knows Giles will make sure her mom does. All right. Yes, of course. What's her plan? Well, they split up to corner them. So she's going to turn that against them. Take them out one by one. Back in the science classroom, Snyder is pacing like a caged animal. This is ridiculous. This is his school. And in his school, what he says goes. And he says, this is not happening. (laughs) Oh, okay, then. Joyce guesses the danger isn't happening. Wait, where did Jackie go? Did we lose Jack? Yeah, we lost Jackie. Come back! Let me see if she's texting me. We lost our special guest. Our power went out. Oh, no. There's rolling power outages here because of the extreme heat and wind. I'm so sorry. Okay, so at this point, we lost Jackie due to rolling power outages in California. So we'll see if she comes back. If not, we love her and we'll talk to her soon. Yes. Um, but yes. Okay. So back in the science classroom, Snyder is pacing like a caged animal. This is ridiculous. This is his school. And in his school, what he says goes. And he says, this is not happening. Oh, well, okay, then. (laughs) Joyce guesses that the danger isn't really happening. One of the others says they can't just sit here any longer and goes to escape out the window as Joyce tells him not to be an idiot. (laughs) Something that prompts Snyder to say he's beginning to notice a mother daughter resemblance. Taking off his jacket because he means business, (laughs) Snyder goes to help the other teacher. Spike's still in the hall, right outside the science classroom, actually, with some of the minions, one of whom is complaining that the door is just too solid to break through. Spike is not here for his complaint (laughs) and tells him to use his head before ramming said minion's head (laughs) into the glass of the fire axe station thing. A moment James Marsters claims is his favorite on-screen moment. That's That's a great moment. Yeah. There. Now they can use the axe to chop their way into the room. Leaving him to do that, Spike heads the other way, ordering at least one of the other minions to come along. Snyder and the other dude manage to get the windows open, and the other dude is climbing out when one of the vampires watching the perimeter grabs him and pulls him the rest of the way out. (sighs) Snyder backs off, and Joyce climbs up, closing and locking said window. Which takes us back to Spike, who is once again listening for Buffy's movements tracking her. Outside, Xander and Angel arrive to find the guy who tried to escape dead on the lawn. Xander asks Angel if he has a plan, and vamping out, Angel says yes, (laughs) as he grabs Xander by the neck. Willow and Cordelia are still in the closet. Cordelia thinks the vampire is gone and wants to leave, but Willow warns he could still be out there. So then what are they supposed to do? According to Willow, pray. (laughs) Still in the ceiling, Buffy continues her trek. But since Spike is on to that trick now, he and one of the female vampires take some poles and begin poking holes in the ceiling, trying to locate her. The female vampire coming rather close. Yeah. I like that. That's a great, that's, that's that is, a, yeah, that was, that was, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. Vamp with the axe is still chomping away. I feel like he should have made more progress with this. <sighs> yeah. Like, but then I've never tried to chop open a door. Never tried to chop open a door. It could also be just a continuity thing. Yeah. Like how they went back and yeah, forth. Yeah. Yeah. He does say he's almost through though, as he pauses his endeavor to tell the other vamp in the hallway with him to keep watching the door. But I don't know. The hole we see Joyce look through is pretty small. Yeah. Before he can finish the job. Also, th- these minions are not the brightest. 
These minions are not the brightest. They are not the best and the brightest. Yeah, Joe's really scraping the bottom of the barrel. Before he can finish the job, Buffy drops down from above and stakes him. And I love, love, love the semi-point-of-view shot. Yes. Because we see Joyce looking through that tiny hole, and we just see Buffy's hand with the stake plunge downwards like that. Yeah. And that's basically all Joyce can see before the camera angles return to normal, and Buffy asks if her mom's okay, and Joyce tells her to to go get out. Yeah. Buffy tells her just hold on a minute and sit tight until she tells her it's safe to open the door. Picking up her stake, she goes to get the other vamp in the hallway when a noise behind her distracts her. Hey, Sheila! Very, very late. Now, we know she's a vampire. Yes. But Buffy does not. Sheila tells Buffy that she ran into some weird guys outside, and Buffy says, yeah, they're kind of trying to kill them. Picking up the axe, the dusted vampire left behind, Sheila remarks that this should be fun. (laughs) And I'm kind of sad that Sheila is a vampire. Yeah. Because... I think this could have been a fun bit with Sheila just like wailing on the vamps with Buffy. Yeah. And having like the time of her life and then just going back to being Sheila. Yeah. Like occasionally acknowledging like Buffy and co with a nod, but not becoming a Scooby. Just this other person out there who knows that like shit happens in this town. Yeah, that's I wish I wish they would have gone that direction. I wish I wish more people witnessed what Buffy does. People see that she has this thing that she does and then just go about their life. Like I hate how so many people just find out and they die. Yeah. Spike and the female vampire are still poking holes in the ceiling when Angel and Xander arrive. (laughs) At first, Spike seems happy to see Angel, calling him Angelus, though he pronounces it Angelus. And embracing him. Angel even plays happy to see Spike, chiding him for not having more guards around his perimeter. He taught him better than that. (laughs) What can he say? He's surrounded by idiots. He asks Angel if he's come up against the Slayer yet, and Angel says she's pretty, but not too bright. That all he has to do is give her the puppy eyes and the, oh, I'm so tortured speech. And it keeps her off his back while he feeds. Seriously? (laughs) Spike laughs. People still fall for that Anne Rice routine. (laughs) What a world. And here we go. (laughs) I just, what can we say about Anne Rice? Because I could do a whole episode on her with, like, the Vampire Chronicles and her weird relationship with her fan base. Like, there's there's so much. Maybe maybe we will. Maybe somewhere down the line we will do an episode. Just dedicated. And right. Yeah, yeah. But for now, we're going to go over the basics. Anne Rice is an American author known most famously for the Vampire Chronicles, the first of which is Interview with the Vampire, first published in 1976 and then made into a movie starring Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in 1994, begging the question of, has Spike read the book or did he see the movie? Or Or has he just heard 90s mall goths talking about it ad nauseum? Because let me tell you, I was one of those. Oh, yeah. Yes. I was super obsessed with Anne Rice in high school. Anne Rice, Laurel K. Hamilton, mix in my love of Buffy, and yeah, I was a vampire girl. You were the you were the Molgoth. I was the Molgoth. Anyway, the whole Anne Rice routine is referring mostly to Louis de Pointe du Lac, 
the main character of Interview, who is narrating his 200-year-long life to a reporter played in the film by Christian Slater. Though Louis has come to terms with his vampiric nature, he does retain a level of compassion and empathy for humans, something that occasionally causes him to war with himself about taking human life, and something that he finds his fellow vampire Lestat Locke. Hmm. And Lestat are pretty much the template for every vampire yep. duo that comes after. Yep. Lacroix and Nick from Forever Night. Spike and Angel from Buffy, Damon and Stefan from The Vampire Diaries, and we could even probably put Klaus and Elijah in this grouping as well. Yes. I just want to briefly mention Forever Night. <laughs> Forever Night is so good. I have the DVDs downstairs. Oh, so many, like, there's so many people that don't know the joy of Forever Night. It's... I loved Forever Night. I love LaCroix. I yeah. love Jeanette. Yes. I think I have like the CD somewhere or I had the CD somewhere because it had all of like LaCroix's little things. So on the show, LaCroix hosts like vampire yes. radio or something. Yes. It's very strange. Yes. And so he has the whole like, if you love something, let it go. If it doesn't return, hunt it down and kill it. And I just, oh, I love LaCroix. Like, and I, and I, like, I keep thinking now, like, I hear like the, his voiceover in the opening in my head. Yes. Like, <laughs> But yes, back anyway. to Angel and Spike and, and Xander. As Xander being held by Angel has been listening to this whole thing. And he knew it. He knew Angel was lying. Undead liar guy. <laughs> Angel just shifts with him about, pulling back the collar and exposing his neck, asking Spike if he wants a bite. Continuing through the hallways, Buffy is on lookout for vampires and tells Sheila to stay behind her, which she does. Now vamped out, axe raised. They pass by the library doors and Giles yells for Buffy to look out, letting her duck as Sheila goes to take off her head. She grabs the axe and swings it at the other vampire in the hall, but it misses him, something he seems a little smug about until he notices the stake in his chest. Oops. He turns to dust as Buffy turns to Sheila. Sheila is smart though, and probably destined to be friends with Joe, our low-key vampire, as she's like, nope, Nope. and hightails it out of there. Yeah, now see, now that's what we need. We need the adventures of Joe and Sheila. They're gonna be roommates. Yes, yes, that's... I'm here for Joe and Sheila and their roommate adventures. Yep. And Angel living down the hall. Angel lives down the hall. And they're just like, oh, Angel. Angel. The hall clear. Buffy heads back to the science classroom and tells her mom to come on. The coast is clear and they need to go. Now. The door opens and the others all spill out, running outside. Giles and Jenny ushering them through. Joyce tells Buffy she's coming too, and Buffy tells her mom to just go. She's not done. Still chatting away, Spike mentions that he hasn't seen Angel in the killing fields in a while. Yeah, well, he doesn't really like company. So why is he scared of the Slayer? What? Why is he scared of her? Time was he would have taken her out in a heartbeat, but now? The torture thing, it's an act, right? He's not housebroken. (laughs) Okay, Angel is formidable, yes. But he's never killed a Slayer. No, no. So I don't know where Spike is getting this whole idea that Angel would have disposed of her in a heartbeat. Spike, baby, you're the one who's killed Slayers, not him. Who knows? Angel tells Spike that he saw the Slayer kill the Master. But hey, if he wants to go after her alone, be his guest. He'll just feed and run. No, no. (laughs) No need to that way they'll do it together like old times both spike and angel lean in as if to feed on xander poor xander man oh he's he just gets and then spike rears back and decks angel (laughs) who the hell does he think he is does he really think he can lie to spike spike knows him he was his sire his yoda (laughs) 
I love the idea of him just sitting in the movies watching. Right? Watching Star Wars. So Yoda, as you know, we've talked about Yoda. We don't really try to explain Star Wars things here because we figure most people know Star Wars. But Yoda is the Jedi Master in Star Wars who trained Luke Skywalker in the ways of the Force. And I know a lot of people have problems with this line as Spike calls Angel his sire, only for us to find out later that actually it was Drew who turned him. However, I do think the Yoda bit saves it. Yeah. As well as the fact that Angel was Drew's sire and therefore Spike's grandsire and Spike still belongs to Angel's line. But it's clear that Angel is the one who taught Spike. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, because a lot of times in, in the vampire lore, there is reverence for the, your line, what yeah. lineage you come from. So yes, yeah. Drew was the one that sired Spike, but Angelus has a lot to do with his training and teaching him and bringing him in. And, you know, because it was just... That's how it worked out. And in that way, like, Angelus made him the vampire he is today. Yeah. So I think that line makes sense. No, I think it, I think it's a, plus it's a, plus it's funny from Spike, from this vampire. Like, vampires are always broody and old fashioned. And, you know, it's why I like what we do in the shadows. You know, they haven't adapted to modern times. So it's always great to see a vampire bring in more modern pop culture. Oh, yeah. So Angel says things change, and Spike says no, not them, not demons, right before he calls Angel an Uncle Tom. (sighs) So I'm just going to come right out and say that none of us are really equipped to have a full conversation about this, being that we are white girls. Yep. So I'm going to try to keep this explanation as simple and straightforward as possible, just in case anyone does not know what this phrase means and the history behind it. So Uncle Tom refers to the title character of Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin, which was published in 1852, and which I definitely remember reading excerpts from in high school. Yes. It's also used as the play within a play in The King and I. At the time that the novel came out, Tom was seen as this groundbreaking character. He was a slave who used non-resistance and gave his life to help others escape slavery. And non-resistance in this case is the act of not resisting authority, even when that authority is seen as excessive or undue. However, as time went on, the way the character was portrayed, especially in dramatizations, changed. Mm-hmm. And came off as almost, well, not almost, came off as too kind to these white slave owners. Yeah. Which is what led to this becoming a derogatory term. And it's used for an exceedingly subservient person, and you all can read into that what you will, particularly one aware of their own lower class and 99.999% of the time racial status. Mm -hmm. So yeah, not the best term. Shouldn't have been used then. Definitely not. Definitely would not be used today. Yep. But again, like I said, we are not equipped. We are obviously not the people to have a full conversation on this, but that was just a little bit of the history of the term and where it comes from. And I highly recommend that anyone who wants to know more search out creators of color who have explained all yeah, of this. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty of podcasts out there, you know, that deal with issues such as this. And again, we are both 
the palest of the pale <laughs> white girls on the planet. So we are, you know, this is not our place to discuss that too much. No, the basic definition past that, you know, like we said, there are fantastic creators of color who can really delve into this issue and, and talk about it with an authority that we just obviously do not yes. have. <laughs> and we definitely do not recommend using that as a term ever, for anything no. ever. No, no. That is the only authority that we can say is just don't use it. Yes. Yes. That's, that's the only authority we, we feel comfortable having is don't use it. Grabbing the pole off the ground, he tells the others to come on. This isn't a spectator sport. Sending the others after Angel and Xander. Spike stays behind, giving us another delightful rhyme. <laughs> Feet, I, foe, fum. I smell the blood of a nice, ripe girl. Turning, he sees Buffy standing there, axe in hand. She asks him if they really need weapons for this, and he admits that he just likes them. <laughs> they make him feel manly. <laughs> They both drop their weapons and advance on one another. Spike telling Buffy that the last slayer he killed begged for her life. She doesn't seem like the begging type to him. She tells him that he shouldn't have come there. And he admits he did mess up her nice party. He just got so bored. (laughs) But look... As a favor from him to her, he'll make it quick so it won't hurt much. She tells him he's wrong. It's going to hurt a lot. (laughs) So this goes on to uh, a bit about what I was saying during the bronze that James has always talked about, like how he's always seen Spike as being in, in... attracted to not in love with but definitely attracted to and intrigued by Buffy from the beginning and you do see this here he's amused by her yeah like he's he's into this banter yeah like he likes her she's feisty yeah I mean like you know she's she's not begging she's not you know she's and she's a different kind of slayer we've said we've said it before she's a different kind of slayer than than he's seen in the past they fight, trading blows in the hallway while Xander and Angel do their best to keep the vampires outside at bay. I guess the adults didn't run outside, just into the library, because Giles is leading them through the stacks when Joyce pauses, clearly intending on to stay behind. And it's a good thing she does, because Spike actually manages to get Buffy down on the ground and is about to stake her with a giant piece of wood when Joyce clobbers Spike <laughs> with an axe. I love it. Telling him to get the hell away from her daughter. Oh, I love, I love when you have moms that are... Joyce Summers walked so Molly Weasley could run. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? And I love the fact that this comes back later. Mm-hmm. With that oh, yes. awkward moment with her and Spike. Like, do I know you from somewhere? You hit me with a fire axe once. <laughs> I mean, I love that this is their first meeting, especially because they do develop this just pure friendship. And Spike clearly has so much respect for Joyce as a person as the show goes on. Yeah. With a frustrated woman, Spike takes off and Joyce and Buffy embrace, Joyce telling her that no one lays a finger on her baby. Outside, the police have finally shown up and Snyder is talking to someone that the script tells us is named Bob. Bob being the chief of police. (laughs) I like that he's Chief Bob. Snyder says he told the guy they found on the lawn not to go through the window. Okay, Jan. <laughs> and he remarks, it's another eventful evening, and Giles says he wouldn't blame her if she wanted to start avoiding him. Yeah, not a chance. No. She slips her arm through Giles's as they head down the front steps together. Xander would like to know why Angel didn't hit Spike before Spike hit Angel. 
Angel had to make sure Spike was buying it. <laughs> and if they had bitten Xander, oh, well, then he'd know he was buying it. That doesn't reassure Xander, who also <laughs> wants to know what's up with Angel being Spike's sire. What's a sire? <laughs> Apparently, apparently he hasn't read much vampire. No. Like, the chief wants to know what they're supposed to tell the media. Are they going with the usual? A gang on PCP? Well, yeah. What does he think? That they're going to tell them the truth? And I know we get into this a bit more in season three. We talked about this a little bit earlier in the episode. But I kind of wish we had followed this thread of what was going on in the town a bit more. Yes. Like, so the cops know. And clearly they're covering up stuff. So when we had things in like first season, when they're like, oh, the official word is wild dogs got into Flutie's office. Mm Mm-hmm. It turns out it isn't so much that it's the police trying to rationalize. It's that they're legitimately covering it up. Exactly. Exactly. And and so I really wish we had kind of followed this thread a mm-hmm. bit more and seen a bit of the like actively covering up the horrible things that happen right, in this right. town. Right. Like seeing them seeing them discussing it or seeing them, yeah. you know, because like if- even when we were with the mayor in the mayor's office, we really only talk about like the mayor's ascension. Yeah. We don't really see the mayor talking about, oh, yeah, we've got a call of the vampire thing. This isn't good for tourism or yeah. like, I, mean, I, like he- I would have liked to seen a lot more of that because we get because we do get like him dealing with the supernatural populations because he goes to like in um was it home whichever episode where he's he's like going to like the ritual of the weird you know snake thing in the but that has to do with his ascension but yeah so it's like all his ascension but nothing with the actual town like i would love to see some of the boring stuff yeah you know like him signing off on paperwork to say okay this is the official thing or telling you know talking to the chief of police about okay so this happened this is what we're going to tell everybody and break yeah Buffy asks what Principal Snyder said to her mother, and Joyce says he told her Buffy was a troublemaker, but that she could care less. She has a strong, capable daughter who doesn't hesitate to protect and help others, and she is so proud of her. (laughs) So how long does this proud thing last? How long before it wears off and she's (laughs) nagging her again? Oh, at least a week and a half. Seems everyone forgot about Willow and Cordy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Who are still in the closet. Cordelia praying, promising to never be mean to anyone ever again if she can just get out of this alive. Unless they really deserve it. Or, you know, it's Shark Week, at which point she really can't be held accountable for the things she says. Willow asks Cordelia to ask for some aspirin, and she starts to, before realizing what Willow is saying. (laughs) It's morning in the factory. Drusilla wants to know if the Slayer hurt Spike. He said it was close, but that he's okay. He just didn't figure her having a family and friends. It's fine, though. They'll kill her. And when they do, they will have such a celebration. (laughs) He asks how the annoying one is, and Drusilla says he doesn't want to play. With a sigh, Spike says he supposes he should go and make nice. Kneeling before the annoying one, he apologizes for his failure, saying he admits it, he was rash. And if he could do it all over again... Well, he'd do the exact same thing. (laughs) Actually, he'd do this first. Grabbing the annoying one, he hauls him over to the metal cage, conveniently hanging in the room, and lifts him towards the skylight, burning him to a crisp. You see... 
from now on, there's going to be a little less ritual and a lot more fun. The annoying one gone. And another little nod to Anne Rice as she dies the same way Claudia does, locked up and exposed to sunlight. Spike takes Drusilla's hand. Shall they see what's on TV? And that's it. I love it. Final thoughts, feelings. Oh, God, I love it. I love it so much because I love... I love how this episode is definitely a transition because like mm-hmm. Spike said, we're going to have less ritual and more and fun. more fun because all of season one and even was like ritual. and even up until this episode it was, was ritual. ritual. It's all ritual. It's all the boring stuff. And like it, it's interesting in the context. But how much ritual can you get? Like, does yeah, you just at some point ritual's got to go. Yeah. So I and I even like how Spike just flat out says we're just going to have fun now. Yeah. So I did figure out that the feast or the night of St. Vigius most likely falls on October 4th. Okay. The first part of this season does seem to happen mostly in real time. The premiere being the week of September 15th and the Halloween episode airing on the night of October 27th. Mm hmm. As this episode aired on the 29th, a Monday, that would make the upcoming Saturday, October 4th. Okay. So the night of St. Vigius, we can safely assume to be October 4th. Okay. So if anybody wants to put it in their calendars, (laughs) October 4th is probably the night of St. Vigius. So we're going to celebrate the night of St. Vigius this year? We're going to celebrate the night of St. Vigius this year. So we're going to go hunting? Actually, (gasps) Actually, we probably will because... Well, Jackie flies home on the 4th, but Jackie will be visiting me that weekend because it's our our high school reunion. That's right. That's right. We may have to throw a little St. Vigius party. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But yes, speaking of Jackie, I am so sad we lost her. I know. um, I I don't know if we've mentioned she is in California. So that's why there are the rolling blackouts going there because she lives up near the desert. Um, But she will be back. She will be back many times throughout this season. I have pretty much promised her that any episode in this season she wants to drop in on. She's obviously welcome. And then next week, we're going to have Dylan back. So that's going to be super exciting. And we're going to do Inca Mummy Girl. Yes. Which, again, is just a super fun episode. So, yeah, that's it for this week. Thank you all for listening and make sure to join us next week. Until then, you can check out our various social media channels, all of which will be listed below in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, you can rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast, or you can write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye. Bye.